0: Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase.
1: I'm Sri Rao, and my new book is called Bollywood Kitchen, home-cooked Indian meals paired with unforgettable Bollywood films. You
0: wrote in the book, Bollywood films are a kaleidoscope of flavors, while Indian food is melodrama on a plate. Give us a short history of the Indian film industry, what we know as Bollywood.
1: So Bollywood gets its name from Hollywood in Bombay. It's kind of a, a play on words the nickname. So it's referred to as Bollywood. It's the largest film industry in the world. They produce something like 1,500 movies every year. They sell twice as many tickets as we do in Hollywood, um, not just in India, but in the UK, and the Middle East, and in Asia. It's an incredibly popular um, film industry. And the great thing about Bollywood is that all of the films are musicals. So whether it is a comedy or a drama, an action movie or a horror movie, whatever the genre, um, every Bollywood movie has um, three or four or five musical numbers in it.
0: And what I learned in your cookbook is that there are people called playback singers and they sing the songs, not the actors.
1: That's right. That's crazy. Yeah, I have because, because um, they make so many musical films every year, I think it's too difficult to find actors, enough actors who can both act and sing and dance. So what they do in Bollywood instead is that they have the actors just perform and they have a separate set of professional singers who are also sometimes equally famous um, record the songs. And then the actors, when they're on camera, are just lip syncing. So they're not actually singing.
0: So when your parents came to the United States in 1959, there were only 10,000 Indian immigrants in the entire country. What pioneers they were. To your parents, Bollywood movies were postcards from home. Describe gathering at the local college auditorium to watch a movie one Sunday a month.
1: So that was a really fond memory that I had growing up. You know, when I was um, growing up in the 80s in a small town in Pennsylvania, there were very few um, other Indian families in the community, and um, it was very difficult to travel internationally at that time, so we very rarely went to India. I've only been to India a handful of times in my life, but what my parents would do, because my mom loves Bollywood movies, she um, found some guy, some film distributor in Chicago, I believe it was, um, who had access to... Uh, Bollywood film reels. And when they were done being shipped around the country, um, she negotiated with this guy to send them to our little town in Pennsylvania for $30 um, a shot. And uh, I remember going to the Greyhound bus station late at night, once a month, and waiting for a bus to pull up from who knows where, from New York or Chicago or someplace, and out of the bottom of the Greyhound bus uh, out of the uh, out of the bottom of the bus, where the luggage was um they would pull out these huge old wooden boxes um uh, which were film canisters, and my dad would carry them back to the car and then once a month we my parents would rent um an auditorium at a local college, and the five or six or seven families that were Indian that were in our community would get together and uh you know f- put these these old film canisters onto the projector and uh, watch a Bollywood movie together. And at the time, I didn't realize how important that was for my parents because I was just a kid. Um, You know, for my parents, these were the only images and sights and sounds of home that they were able to see for years at a time.
0: And typically, how long is a Bollywood film?
1: So traditionally, Bollywood films have a reputation of being really long. And the older Bollywood films were. They were easily three hours long. But these days, contemporary Bollywood films, and those are the films that I have in my book. They're all modern Bollywood films. They're, they're much shorter and, um, e- you know, easily digestible. Some of them are, um, I think I, on average, they're probably two hours.
0: You don't know Indian. That's a bold statement you wrote. What's the difference between uh, the Indian food that we've all probably ordered in our local Indian restaurant and the Indian food you grew up with?
1: You know, it was it's really astonishing to me um, to see a menu in an Indian restaurant with dishes like chicken tikka masala and naan and tandoori chicken, because none of these are dishes that we eat at home. Um, this is all restaurant food that's primarily from one region of India, from northern India. But the food that I grew up eating here in America is much healthier, first and foremost. Um, Indian food in restaurants can tend to be quite unhealthy with a lot of cream and butter and oil. And that's not the way that we cook at home. At home, it's, um, it's very healthy and fresh. The other thing about home-cooked Indian food is that it's very simple. You know, When my mom you know, moved here for the first time, there were no Indian grocery stores, so she made do with the ingredients that she found at her local supermarket. And that's the way that we continue to eat growing up and that I continue to cook for my family today. That's not to say that this food is inauthentic. It's not. It's very authentic. But um, Indian food is surprisingly much more accessible than people think that it is.
0: Yeah, I discovered that Indian food is not hard to make from your cookbook. I, I don't even know where that myth got started, that people think it's really complicated and difficult to do.
1: Well, I think that because there are so many robust flavors in Indian food, Um, And some of them are unusual and new to Western palates. I think that maybe people assume that that's because, oh, there are so many spices in this and stuff that I've never heard of before. But that's not the case. Like I say in my book, 75% of the recipes that are in this book, you can make with ingredients that are, I'm sure, already in your pantry. Um, If you've ever made Mexican food or even if you just made a pot of chili, you probably have all the spices that you need to make traditional um, sort of the staples of a home cooked Indian diet. We're talking about spices like um, ginger and garlic, cumin and coriander, cinnamon and cloves, which um, we're more accustomed to using those in desserts here in the West, but in Indian food and in Middle Eastern food, cinnamon powder and clove powder is used a lot in savory dishes because it adds a wonderful warmth. So cayenne and salt and pepper, I mean, these are all basic uh, ingredients that most people have.
0: Now, this book is organized by movie with a corresponding menu. Tell us about the process of whittling down the movies and choosing the menus to go with them.
1: Yeah, so the whole book is set up as dinner and a movie so that you can put in a movie on Netflix or on Amazon or iTunes. These are all movies that are available online with subtitles. And then along with each film, I pair uh, a menu that you can serve along with it. You know, it was really important for me to find movies that were accessible that American audiences would enjoy. So I have romances and period epic dramas and comedies and action films So there's a little something for everyone. And then with each um, of those films, I wanted to uh, find a meal that sort of connected thematically to it in some way. So, for example, um, one of the films in the book is a film called Lagan, which is one of the few Bollywood movies ever to be nominated for an Academy Award. And that uh, film is a sports drama about uh, cricket that takes place during the colonial times in India, Um, And it's a story about villagers in India who compete against their British colonizers in a game of cricket. And so with that meal, I paired a um, sort of Anglo-inspired meal of masala-crusted salmon and a rice and lentil dish called kichdi, which um, is a traditional Indian comfort food, but was taken to England in the time of colonialism and turned into a British dish called kejri which some people might be familiar with. Um, and Kedri um, is served a lot for breakfast or for brunch. It was a very fashionable dish at the time of colonialism. Um, Mrs. Patmore served it on Downton Abbey. if there are any Downton Abbey fans out there like I am? And so what I wanted to do is to show the connection, the culinary connection um, between India and Great Britain that goes back centuries.
0: The film and menu I chose was English Vinglish on page 178 this. I love uh, that. I loved it too. And it's okay. So it's from 2012, um, about a homemaker who's mocked by her family for her lack of English skills. It made me sad. And I actually didn't realize that not being able to speak English properly had such stigma attached to it in India.
1: That's right. There is very much a hierarchy both in India, even in America, you know, um, those people in the Indian community who speak English well are considered to be more sophisticated or more educated. Um, and those who can speak without an accent are sort of the cream of the crop. My mom, for example, speaks broken English. And that's something that uh, you know, I personally struggled with growing up. You know, I had a lot of shame around that. And it's something that um, I've come to terms with now that I'm an adult and realizing that just because someone doesn't speak English well doesn't have anything to do with their intelligence, because my mom can run circles around anyone um, when she's speaking in her native tongue. And the fact that she, like so many other immigrants, can speak multiple languages is, you know, even if some of them are, are you know, not perfect, is really much more of an accomplishment than most of us, myself included. So English of English, yes, is a story about a simple housewife in India who um, doesn't speak English well and her family doesn't really respect her because she doesn't have an identity of her own. And she comes to New York on a a trip by herself and ends up taking an ESL class, English as a Second Language. And um, through the course of her experiences in New York and in learning English, she forms a a newfound self-respect for herself and a new sense of identity.
0: I was kind of hoping she'd leave that husband.
1: Isn't that awful? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: (laughs) he kept saying, all you know how to do is make ladus.
1: So the other interesting thing about that film, English English is that it, it deals a lot with um, food and food being a part of many Indian women's identity, both in India and in America here, homemakers like my mom, um, their identity is wrapped up in, 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 the food that they make every day for their family. And, um, and not necessarily having the respect of their families. It takes a lot of hard work to put um, a fresh, hot, healthy meal on the dinner table every day, the way that my mom has always done and the way that so many other women um, in America and across the world do. But not always is that validated. And so in the course of this story, she comes to realize that the food that she, um, that she creates with love and with care and with passion um, is something to be valued, and that if her family doesn't value it, that there are other people that will value it. But um, more important than any of that is that she finds value for herself in what she's passionate about.
0: So, along with this film, I had a little dinner party and invited my dear friend Sabrina Dewan over, who wrote Monsoon Wedding, and
1: she's. Mentioned- I was so intimidated when I heard that she's so famous, and Monsoon Wedding really um, put. Indian films on the map in many ways here in America, and I was so nervous to hear that she was going to be trying my food.
0: You were; I had to make it for her. <laughs> she's lovely. Our children um, have been in the same school since kindergarten, and she is the best person. I love her so much. Um, so That's she's great to she, hear. she's in your book on page two fifty seven, and I was so nervous about cooking. Indian food for her because I'd never made it before. But I made your signature chicken, string beans with peanuts, and the cucumber raita. Tell us about... And what's the verdict? It was amazing. I want (laughs) to hear about your signature chicken.
1: That's great to hear because that was exactly my objective. I want to demystify Indian cooking and, and show people that um, even if you're not uh, a, 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 an avid home cook, I, I'm not a chef by any means. I'm just a home cook. But even if you don't have a lot of experience cooking at home or cooking um, food that is new to you, you can make Indian food. So my signature chicken is sort of my go-to chicken dish. I feel like everyone has a go-to chicken dish that um, that they can make several times a month that is simple enough to feed the family um, on a weeknight, but is also special enough to serve to guests like you did um, when you had your friend coming over, and so this um, chicken dish, I make it with boneless, skinless chicken thighs, and um, and it's quite simple because it's only three steps, and the three steps are pretty much the quintessential three steps to any Indian curry dish. The first step is that you sauté some onions in a little in a little bit of oil, and when I say little bit, I mean just a tablespoon. You know, Indian food again is very healthy. So you saute some onions, get some nice color on them because that first step is really important that those onions are really creating the base of flavor for your curry. So you really want to take your time and you want to saute those onions for a good five to seven minutes um, until they get some nice golden brown, um, deep brown color in them. The second step is that you add your spices into your onions. And that's really important as well for Indian cooking because you never want to add your spices at the end of a dish. You always want to add your spices in the beginning so they have a time, they have a chance to, to cook in that oil and in the onion so that they can release their flavors, release their essential oils and sort of wake up. So we add our spices as the second step. And again, you found that, uh, did you have all of the spices that you needed in your cupboard? Or was there anything that you had to go out and buy for cooking my signature chicken?
0: I had them all in my cupboard.
1: Great. See, you had them all. You had you had everything you needed right there to make Indian food. I did. And the third step was the chicken, uh, the chicken thighs, but it could have been vegetables. It could have been fish. Um, it could have been some other type of uh, meat or protein. And, uh, and then you mix them all together and let it simmer for a while on the stove. And that's pretty much the technique of all Indian cooking. And it's as simple as that.
0: Sabrina loved it.
1: That's great because <laughs> she, she knows her food, I'm sure. And yes. I, really, I, I really appreciate her opinion.
0: She made the chutney recipe from the movie Lagan, too, which was oh, really great. good.
1: And it's a chutney that you make in a blender. How simple was that?
0: one thing though sabrina did tell me at dinner was growing up in delhi no one measured ingredients so she said things would taste different at different people's homes um that's
1: right
0: did you, that's why she wanted to make the chutney from lagan because she said her mom couldn't tell her how to make chutney <laughs> did you find it was hard to get these measurements for um the home cooked meals in this cookbook
1: Oh, God, that was such an ordeal. Yes. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the reason that the that the book took me over two years to write was partially because of that. I mean, Indian moms and my aunties are notorious for not measuring anything. Um, and for and whenever you ask them for a recipe, they're like, Oh, it's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of that. Yeah. I don't know how much. Don't ask me, you know. So um, I had a lot of those conversations with my mom and with my aunties. And then I had to do my own personal testing to figure out those measurements. And, um, you know, I even went so far as to go into the kitchen with my mom and watch her cooking. And she would pour a spice into the palm of her hand and I would have to grab her wrist and pour that spice into a measuring soup <laughs> before she put it into the pot. Um, so I did all of that legwork for you and, um, and, and figured it all out over the course of two years. So now People have a reference guide for how much they need to use of every spice or of every ingredient when they're making Indian food.
0: And we thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It was (laughs) hard work, but I'm glad it was worth it.
0: Where can we find you on the web?
1: So I am on social media at New York 3. So that's all spelled out. N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-S-R-I. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so please do follow me. And my website is newyork3.com. Um And I'm going on, uh, I'm currently on a national tour, so I'm hitting 12 cities across the country in the next three weeks and would love to meet folks um, at the many events that I have.
0: These are easy-to-make, home-cooked Indian meals that I was able to pull off, so any home cook can. Thank you, Sri, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: Thanks so much. This is great.
0: Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase, and download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.